This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Wasn't worship good today? So I don't know if I saw it in the video, but I think it was supposed to be there or else I got my paths crossed. But today is the last day to register your kids for summer fun day. And you're not going to want to miss it. Your kids are not going to want to miss it. I mean, it's this Thursday at East Campus, so go online and register. Okay, And if cost is an issue, see me. I don't want cost to be an issue for you not letting your kids be a part. And then I also want to greet you. um, For those of you that are visiting today, and I love it when we have visitors in the room or if you're visiting online, um, I'm Pastor Rhonda. I'm actually the lead pastor's wife. And he and our son Trenton, who is our executive pastor, they're on leading an actual missions, um, OMN Network AIM missions trip. And here's some pictures where I want you to pay attention to this purpley gray building in the back and then look at all this beautiful scenery. So there took a group of four different churches, their youth pastors, their leaders, and these junior high and high school kids um, up to Houston, Wasilla, Palmer, Alaska. So they're spread out in different locations, and they're doing all kinds of really hard labor ministry, and they're also doing street ministry. They're actually preaching and teaching in all of, in both churches today. They're doing all the kids, all the worship, all the preaching, and um, tomorrow they'll be on the streets in Anchorage with Teen Challenge. They've worked in the Teen Challenges, both women and men up there. And one of the things in my phone conversation with Trenton and Kevin yesterday that made me realize again how important our prayers are. And I want you, they're up there for another week, and so let's be praying. Let's pray against the darkness. Alaska is known in the nation as one of the worst for drug, alcohol, and um, depression. Thank you. And that's one of the places that there's some of the most darkness. And this building that they're standing in front of, Trenton and Kevin are not over any chill or teens specifically, they're over the whole mission, so they go back and forth. But where they're staying is in Houston, and this is a store that used to be a witch's store. And the church, when they, this pastor came in 2019, for six months, he lived in Montana and live streamed to his church because COVID had shut everything down. And then they moved there, and they moved into an area that's very, very dark. And Kevin and Trenton have had some in the city traveling to go get gas. They've actually had some interactions with darkness, in-your-face darkness, and creepy, weird things. So I loved it because Trenton goes, Mom, you read about stuff like this. But he goes, I've never seen anything like this before. So it was kind of cool that they're watching God at work. But this pastor would drive by this, and he would claim it for the Lord. And his son, who's, I want to say he was nine at the time, he said, so dad, why, don't, why doesn't somebody go tell her about Jesus? And he felt so convicted. So he was at some type of a leadership thing, and he was driving home, and he felt the Holy Spirit nudge him to stop. So he stopped, and she comes, first of all, he said, Lord, I'm willing to do this, but you have to go with me. And he got out of his car and up running towards him immediately was this Rottweiler vicious dog. And all of a sudden it gets right up to him and it just bows in front of him. And the witch comes out and she's, she was shocked. She goes, "My, who are you and what are you doing here? My dog never does that with people. 
So already the presence of God had gone before him. He spent an hour or more talking with her, and really he just listened to her story. And she goes, well, I just want you to know I'm going to stop cursing your church and cursing your people, she said, because you're the first minister that's ever asked anything about me and came to talk to me. And they had started to pray in November, and I don't remember which year. I didn't get all the details. But what was really funny is he just kept praying, Lord, we want that property. We want that property. He prayed that day with uh, an employee and that employee's child, and then the witch was there. And her name is Rhonda, interestingly enough. I said, <laughs> so today I just want you to know this Rhonda is not a witch. Um, but he said, they, he finally went in and they purchased property all around this store, but they weren't able to get that property. And so finally he connected with the owner of the property and he said, um, they, they haven't been paying their bills. They're behind and they haven't been paying their bills. What do you want the property for? He named a price and they worked it all out. And come to find out when they started praying that God would give them that property is the month that she stopped paying her bills. So God had it all in motion. And this is what they're doing up there. They're tearing down. Yesterday they said they cleaned out a cauldron. There's all kinds of bones and skulls, and it's creepy. Um, and they've cleaned this all out. They've gutted this, and they're repurposing this witch's store for a retreat center. And there's going to be cabins all around it that minister to the needs of foster kids and then training to go out to these islands. There, apparently there are a lot of islands around Alaska, which are things I didn't know. And in those outer islands is where a lot of this witchcraft originates. And they want to be able to send people. So they said, just keep praying. Um, at Palmer, what they're doing is they're working on the Teen Challenge building. And they've, they've had so many neat interactions. But some of the beauty that you're seeing is the people of Alaska who are there, the pastors and stuff, are really proud of their beautiful. So at the end of a long day, after they've worked hard all day, they go out and they get to hike and do all kinds of stuff. So this one hike... Pastor Kevin said, it was like 4,800 feet. And he goes, I might have been the oldest guy there. He goes, but I made it to the top before all the other leaders. So he was kind of impressed with himself. Um, but it's weird. It's daylight. Like maybe there's three hours of darkness. So it's always daylight. So they get a lot done in the daylight, let's just say, even playing a little bit. But let's keep praying for him this week. It's very important that we do. Um, Pastor Trenton's preaching, um, and I don't know what time it starts. We're an hour later than they are, so it probably hasn't started yet. Let's pray over him today and over Donnie Waite, the youth pastor from Pendleton. They're preaching in their services up there, and I know God has a word for that people. So if you're joining us for the first time today, we're wrapping up a series on emotions. And as a quick review, we've talked about talked about how an emotion is a conscious mental reaction, a strong feeling that arises spontaneously, typically accompanied by a physiological, which I think is interesting, and a behavioral change in the body. So it impacts all of you. Your emotions aren't just your words. They're not just what's happening. There's really stuff going on when emotions show up. And emotions can cause tension in us and in others. Show of hands today, how many of you, like me, since we've started talking about this, have had a greater awareness of that tension since we started this series? Either in yourself, you're recognizing, or you see it going on in a relationship. Um, emotions are not wrong. They were created by God, and I think it's fascinating when you look in the Word of God that Jesus, our Savior, other biblical leaders, all had strong emotions. And as Christ followers, 
We need to have spirit-guided emotions and not let our emotions drive us. Our key verse puts this challenge completely into perspective. Galatians 5, 15 through 17 says, But I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh has desires that are opposed to the Spirit, and the Spirit has desires that are opposed to the flesh. For these are in opposition of each other. So the war is constantly there. That tension you would expect to be there if you have any God in you because God is going to be his, who he is in his spirit is against the wrongness of how we are driven by our emotions. Spirit-guided people live in freedom. Have you noticed that in your emotions as we've gone through this series? But if you're emotionally driven and the emotions become what's driving everything, it's usually chaos. Anybody in here had some chaos this week and emotions were kind of crazy wild? So again, we want to be a people that are spirit-guided. The bottom line, if your natural fleshly, fleshly desires have greater influence over you and your emotional responses in any situation, you will respond with emotions that put your desires first. Always. And we know that what our flesh wants is completely counter to what God wants and desires for our lives. So we have to be a people that is led by the Spirit because we're not going to get rid of our emotions. We can stuff them. We can try to do all kinds of things in our nature, but we need to be guided by the Spirit. <clears throat> Let's pray today. Father, I pray over this message that every word spoken would be done with clarity because you're here. God, I pray over every heart and every person listening, that, Lord, you would speak directly to where they are. I know, I have prayed over this, and I know there's a word for every single person. Help them not to miss it. In Jesus' name, amen. It takes me a month, time span, to write a sermon. I, I fortunately, am not the pastor that has to preach every week, and I'm just telling you, if you did, I don't know how I would ever do that. There's a lot that goes into sermon preparation. I don't think most people realize that, unless you've ever had to preach before. But I have the advantage of having about a month. Um, so during, because I work full-time for the state of Oregon, so that's my full-time vocational job. And, <clears throat> excuse me, so I don't knock out sermons really quick. I ponder them, I plan them, I do a lot of reading in or throughout the month. And like you who have work emails, I have a work email, and sometimes I get all kinds of junk email. Anybody love junk email that shows up? Um, and I had something over this last month that came across, and the subject line said this, the global rise of unhappiness and how leaders missed it. And I immediately thought of my sermon, and I just flagged it to read later on my own time because I knew it was kind of related to my sermon. And the emails was from Gallup, and they are giving leaders an opportunity to pre-order their new book that comes out in September called Blind Spot, the global rise of unhappiness, and how leaders have missed it. Um, the email said that Gallup has been asking people about their happiness, and their survey has determined that unhappiness has been increasing globally each year over the past decade. They actually have sent out this sur sur surgery survey. They've actually sent out this survey since 2006. 
And I think that's fascinating that they find checking on people's level of happiness as an important kind of gauge and to do something with it. They're saying, like many of us probably can already understand and relate, anger, stress, worry, and sadness have reached record highs in 2021. That's, that's sad. Gallup's survey results tie people's well-being directly to their happiness. And I found it curious that they recognize the need to look at things like people's happiness. It looks like a fascinating book to me. And I want to take a few moments today and talk about the emotion joy. I got the good emotion, the one that's a positive emotion. Kevin's, he's done fear and sadness and what was the other one? Anger. Ooh. That was the first one. And, and I get to do joy today, which has been an interesting to study because joy can even have some negative. And we're going to look at that today. Um, I want to look at how joy fits into the wheel of emotions that Pastor Kevin shared. This was created by a psychologist named Robert Putchik to illustrate the relationship between what he called the eight primary emotions and other related emotions and the way this wheel looks and I just challenge you if you guys can't see this and it's a lot easier to see from where I'm at but if you can't see read this go read it go look it up online the wheel of emotions because it's very telling when you start looking at yourself and your responses so the way this wheel works is that the emotions are arranged on a color coordinated spokes in three layers, one, two, yeah, three layers. And on the outer edge are the low intensity emotions like acceptance, distraction, boredom, awe, submission, and those are, or sorry, I'm combining, interest, annoyance, boredom, pensiveness, distraction, acceptance, serenity. That's an outward kind of low hanging emotion. The eight primary emotions are the ones that are in the center. And those ones are like anger and disgust and sadness, surprise, fear, trust, joy, and anticipation. And then the center circle, it gets more intense in your emotions and they manifest they demonstrate themselves in a much stronger way. And those are things like um, loathing and admiration and uh, grief and rage and terror and admiration, I just say admiration and ecstasy. And then between each color spoke, there's additional emotions. And here you'll find what he calls mixed emotions. For example, the emotion contempt is a combination of anger and disgust. So emotions play a lot, and there's a lot of it, and it's all over the place, and we'll never escape emotions. I know there are people who are way less emotional in their demonstration than I am, but I'm just telling you here now, they have just as much emotion. They just have it all inside there. I get mine out a little bit more. <laughs> and I don't know which is worse, okay? I'm not, I'm not pointing a finger, because um, I'll have three pointing back. It's been in of all the things that I found when I begin to study joy, that there are actually many perspectives in the psychological community, in the Christian community. There are a lot of different perspectives on joy out there. And if we tried to unpack them all today, we'd be here like forever. Um, and I want to just read some phrases when I googled the word joy or joy and happiness. These are just some of the phrases that came up. I'm not going to really take a position on them. I just want you to realize, wow, there's a lot um, being talked about about joy. Something I think we all really want and crave and don't even necessarily know how to go after it or how to walk it out. 
Joy is an emotion that takes life worth that makes life worth living in the moment because it resonates with our core identity. I kind of can see God in that one. Joy is associated with feelings of ease, apprehension, appreci- sorry, appreciation, and meaning. Joy is not an emotion, but, it's, but it normally includes emotions. So see, people are all over the board. Joy is an inner feeling. Happiness is an outer, outward expression. Joy is an emotional response that typically arises when something positive has happened to you or someone important to you. Joy is more selfless. The emotion is joy if it's not for your mere personal gain. I think that's in comparison to happiness is how they were associating that. Um, Joy is stronger and it's less common than happiness. Joy is not an emotion or feeling. Joy is a choice. I can see that in our sermon today, that it is an emotion, but it's a choice of how we walk that emotion out as we're guided by the Spirit. Um, Passive joy involves tranquility and a feeling of contentment with things as they are. Active joy involves desiring to share one's feeling with others. How many of you have ever been so happy you just couldn't wait to tell somebody else? And that's more of an active joy. Happiness tends to be achieved externally and is triggered by something external, while joy is something achieved internally and is usually attributed to something consistent. And lastly, and this one's a tongue twister, so I already have trouble with how my words are coming out, so this won't be really a challenge, but I had to stop and reread it a few times, but there's a lot of truth in this one, especially from a biblical perspective. Joy without happiness wouldn't be joy. But neither would joy be joy if it always had to feel happy. Say that five times really fast. As you can see, people have a lot to say about joy. But I have wondered, as I've studied, do they really have joy? Do you have joy? That's a question I want you to ask yourself today. I want you to be thinking of that as we unpack this. During this series, each week, Pastor Kevin had three points for every one of these um, emotions, the problem with the emotion, understanding the emotion, and then dealing with the emotion. And I want to roughly use those, that same outline as we look at the emotion joy. So I'm starting out with the problem of joy. How many of you, if I were just to say that to begin with, you'd go, there's no problem with joy. Well, I'm going to give you one. So you're going to know one today. At first, because joy is a really good emotion, I had difficulty coming up with what the problem can be, could be. And I thought I was going to have to rewrite his points. And early on, I said, these are phenomenal that you just have those same points. Um, and I was like, great, I'm not even going to be able to do that. But all of, after all this sermon prep, I can con- confidently reduce it to this statement. The problem with joy is joy becomes a problem when you give up on joy. I have heard people say they lost their joy, but emotions aren't something that we lose. Emotions are something we mishandle. And joy is mishandled when we don't choose it, when we don't pursue it, and when we give up and expect a life without joy or circumstances without joy. That's mishandling, and that's a problem with joy. I found a lady that I've enjoyed a lot of her uh, 
lecture. She's on TED Talk. Some of you guys might have heard her. She's an American researcher, uh, research professor, author, lecturer who studies emotions. And her name is Brinny Brown. And one of the things that she said about joy is joy is the most vulnerable emotion we experience. And if you cannot tolerate joy, you start dress rehearsing tragedy. I was like, what? And in her book, Dare to Lead, she describes dress rehearsing tragedy as this. Envisioning every horrible scenario, scenario in any situation, especially when it comes to your loved ones, rather than just existing in the moment of joy and happiness. It often shows up as anxiety or dread. She calls it always waiting for the other shoe to drop. How many of you could say, you know what, there have been times in my life where things are going so good that I'm almost living in expectant of something bad to happen because it's been too good. Anybody here raise your hand and said, I've thought that thought before. That's dress rehearsing tragedy. That's expecting something instead of enjoying the happiness and joy and that mountaintop experience that you're in right there. I was curious how this response to joy and happiness could be resolved with a spirit-guided response, and I found an online article that she wrote which provided some understanding of why giving up on joy happens quite frequently and without conscious thought. She said this, Though I study scary emotions like anger and shame for a living, I think the most terrifying human experience is joy. That's scary. It's as if we believe that by truly feeling happiness, we're setting ourselves up for a sucker punch. The problem is, worrying about things that haven't happened doesn't protect us from the pain. Ask anyone who's experienced a tragedy, and they will tell you there's no way to prepare for a tragedy. And yet, that's what we're doing that robs us of joy. Instead, catastrophizing, as she calls it, causes us to squander that one thing we all really want more in life, and that's joy. And I think some of us do a better job embracing joy and letting joy be, and some of us, we're looking for the shoe to drop. We're trying to go buy a shoe so we can drop it. I mean, you know what I mean? We chase after that. Think about it. Um, she goes on to say, we can't know joy without embracing vulnerability. And you embrace vulnerability when you focus on gratitude, not fear. That'll preach. That sentence right there will preach. Psalms 28.7 ties three big emotions, trust, gratitude, and joy together. And it supports her research. I don't know if she's a believer. I doubt it. Um, but it's interesting. I always pray when people are really intelligent like this and God's given them a gift of intelligence that they can unpack things. I always pray if they don't know Jesus, they find him. Because, man, when you take really good psychology and you mix it with the word of God, Boom, you got something going. Psalms 28 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy and with my song I sing praise. My heart trusts in him. He helps me and my heart leaps for joy. There's a trust in God. There's a gratitude for what he's going to do to help me, and there's joy. 
And the best part, I think, of this verse is who are we putting our trust in and who we express our gratitude to. That's, that's the game changer in her research, is who are you expressing gratitude and who are you putting your trust in? Jesus tells us not to worry about tomorrow. Don't borrow from tomorrow. It's got enough going on. You got enough going on here today. And yet, again, waiting for that shoe to drop, too many of us are out there doing that. The next thing we need to do is understand joy. And first, to understand joy from a biblical perspective, I want to bring some clarity to the thoughts around happiness versus joy. And if you have a different feeling about this, um, that's great. I'm not going to argue it. I just, I'm going to come from this perspective after study. So a dictionary defines happiness as an emotional state that is characterized by feelings of joy, satisfaction, contentment, and fulfillment. Happiness is often described as involving positive emotions and life satisfaction. The dictionary definition of joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. The Bible speaks often about joy. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The Psalms are filled with joy in the Lord. James 1.2-3 tells us to take joy in trials. In 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Paul commands us to rejoice always. And depending on the translation you read, the Bible uses the word happy and happiness or glad, gladness, about 30 times. And the word joy or rejoice appears over 300 times. It's, a, it's common to hear Christ followers say there's a difference between joy and happiness. And if you're one of these people, more power to you. The teaching usually focuses on these four points. Happiness is a feeling, but joy is not. Happiness is fleeting, but joy is everlasting. Happiness depends on circumstances or other people, but joy is a gift from God. Happiness is worldly, joy is divine. However, the words are very similar in the Bible, and sometimes they're used interchangeably, including in the same scripture. So historically, great theologians... I'm going to side with them. Don't make a distinction between the two words. I started to write my sermon, happiness versus joy, and instantly went, that's not how the, the word paints it. So I'm going to give you some examples. For example, the Bible verses that use both words, joy, uh, Jeremiah 31, 13 says, I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. And in the parallel of this Hebrew poetry, those words, gladness and joy, are used synonymously. They're the same word. Proverbs 23, 25 says, Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. Being glad is the same thing as rejoicing in this verse in the Hebrew. If you agree gladness and happiness are the same thing, then these verses demonstrate, just one example, that joy and happiness are linked. As I was studying, sometimes joy was presented as true contentment based on faith, and happiness was contrasted as a false or superficial emotion that was based on circumstance. And I don't see God's word where joy is separate from happiness. I see them equal in the Bible. So today I want to just, that's the perspective I'm coming from. from. We can compare temporary happiness and eternal happiness and see a difference. But I think what's most valuable today, and this is where I want us to go and land, is deciding where our joy and our happiness comes from. Are we happy in the Lord? Are we content? Or are we content with the happiness the world affords? And that's where I think you're always going to find the lack.
When we believe a biblical perspective of joy that recognizes that emotion is dependent on who Jesus is rather than, than on who we are or what's happening around us, we will be less likely to give up on joy even when things are really hard or difficult. I want to say that again. When we believe in a perspective of joy that recognizes that emotion is dependent on who Jesus is, not on what's happening around you, you'll be less likely to give up on joy when things are hard or difficult. And then there's a phrase, and I would love to give somebody credit for it. I jotted it down on a sticky note. I Googled and tried to find it. So I think it must have been in a sermon I heard because it didn't come up. And this person said, joy becomes a decision you make in the dry places. For me, through this cancer battle this last year, and even now, I'll be honest with you, because of the impacts of chemo on my body and the continuing fight for some sense of normal, not giving up on joy is often a daily choice for me. Sometimes it's just discouragement. Sometimes it's the pain. Um, last Wednesday, the 27th, was 11 months since my last chemo session. Woo! I look more normal, don't I? I have hair. And it, somebody asked me at work this week, they said, is that your real hair? I said, absolutely. It's also this curly, really. Um, I have my hair. My energy is back. If you talk to me, I have massive energy. But guess what? I have absolutely no stamina. I'm like, uh. I'll go home today after preaching twice and standing here and be like, it just will happen. Um, my muscles are thrashed. My nerves have been damaged. My brain still gets fuzzy. And I shared with you, and you hear it when I preach, I have to script my sermon because it's like my, my thoughts just go, whoo, whoo, whoo. Um, I can no longer multitask. And people, if you knew me, that's one of my strengths. I can't walk and chew gum. I cannot write something and listen. I'm, I read a book, and the next day it's like, what did I read? Uh, it just is part of what's there. And I believe it's going to come back, but I'm trying to be patient. Um, the medical profession says, realistically, I have another year before my body will be recovered from chemo. That's a long time to wait. And through all of this, and despite all of this, I can respond to these external circumstances with inner contentment and satisfaction. I can pursue joy because I do know that God will use what I'm going through to accomplish his work. And that's more important than anything else when it really comes right down to it. His work in me, that's what I want to have happen. And I pray that through me, his work will be done. And I hope I have something to give away, always. Which brings me to point number three. Rather than dealing with joy, like Pastor Kevin had, dealing with anger, dealing with fear, or dealing with the lack of joy, I just want my last point to be this. Don't give up on joy. How do we do this? It comes down to our understanding. Okay, so we have to know something. And then we have to be willing and obedient to live out what the Bible says about joy. And this is where the choice comes. You get to choose how you will live out. And will you accept biblical principles or the world's idea of joy and happiness? I have five biblical truths I want to share with you today to not give up on joy. First of all, you need to spend time with God. 
First Chronicles 16.27 says, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. When you've been zapped of strength, when you don't feel joy, start hanging out with Jesus a whole lot more. Don't try to solve everything on your own. There's okay with getting help. But can I just tell you, there is nothing like the presence of Jesus. And you don't have to come to church. When I come to church now, after going through this last year, and as Julie said today, in corporate worship, I sit on the front row so I don't have to watch anybody that's distracted by what's happening in their life. I want to focus on God. And can I tell you, I'm a blubbering mess during worship. And I, I'm so loud that I probably get picked up by microphones. I don't care. I am worshiping the one who's worthy to be worshiped. But I can have a really hard day and I can plug in a worship song. And let me just tell you, it's hard to have lack of joy. It's hard to be angry. It's hard to be snarky. It's hard to be unforgiving when praise is continually in your mouth. Get in the presence of Jesus. Joy is found through relationship with him. If you find yourself lacking joy, make a determined effort to spend time in God's presence. Your flesh, the world will seek all kinds of things to bring joy. But the one we need to seek the most is Jesus. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The second biblical truth to help us not, not give up on joy is believing and then living like joy is produced by the Holy Spirit. Not by something you pursue, not by something else, not by some um, tangible thing you own or buy. Joy is a product of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22, you probably can all quote it with me, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is what happens when we accept Christ as Savior and then we let his Spirit guide our lives. These fruits will be evident in how we live, and the fruit of joy will be in your life as you walk with Jesus, even in really hard circumstance. It goes on to say in Galatians chapter 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If the fruit of joy is not evident in your life, if it doesn't come out of your mouth, it's important to figure out what in your life is blocking the work of the Holy Spirit. Is there a sin? you need to deal with? Is there a wrong attitude you're focusing on? Where are your thoughts? Where are your actions? Are you being driven by an emotion that's out of control? And joy has no space. Fruit has no space. Is there unforgiveness in your life? When you pray and you ask God to show you, be quick, even if it takes over and over and over again trying it, be quick to remove the blockage so the fruit of joy can flow in your heart again. I don't care if your husband's a creep. I don't care if your wife steps on your only nerves. I don't care if your mom and dad don't let you do anything. I don't care if your best friend hurt you. You have to remove whatever's going on in you and let God deal with that other person. Because I'm telling you here and now, it works. There were times I would be so frustrated I know you find that hard to believe that Pastor Kevin could never be frustrating. 
He's so angelic. He tells you. Um, but I can remember being a young wife, and I, I was so angry inside. And when I stopped worrying about what he was doing right or wrong, and I started looking at me, if you know me very well, you've heard me say, there's a lot going on here. Sasser's always make fun of me because I said it one time. I said, I have a lot going on right now. And it's true in my life. I've got a lot going on. I can't worry about what everybody else is going on. I need to get me to the feet of Jesus. I need to work on me and let Jesus fix me. Then I don't have to be worried about what somebody else is doing or not doing. I don't care if it's your boss. I don't care if it's your coworker. Focus on you. There's a lot going on there, and you need to worry about that. <clears throat> the third biblical truth to help us not give up in joy is realizing that joy is the result of speaking words of wisdom. I absolutely love this. When I found this this week, this made my heart leap for joy. Proverbs 15:23 says, "To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good is it?" How many of you love it and feel really good when you say the right thing in the right way at the right time? How many of you can go Boom, that makes me feel joyful. The proverb confirms joy comes when we are wise enough to know when to speak and what to say. I love that. Think of an apt answer as a wide word for just the right moment. It's not an answer just because a question was asked. It's deeper than that. It may be some counsel you give. It might be a prayer you speak. It might be a rebuke or correction in a relationship that you have that you can do that. Um, It might be sharing um, with someone who's far from God. I love 1 Peter 3.15, and a lot of people share this as having a word about our hope to people who don't have hope. But I think you can have a word about the hope that's in you to people who need their hope stirred back up. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. And then it adds this caveat. But do this with gentleness and respect. I think you can say just about anything if it's done in the right way and the Holy Spirit's nudged you to say it. If he tells you to put a cork in it, do that too. I one time, not audibly, but my spirit so heard it. I one time, because I have words. I know that was a gift I was given, and I'm happy to use my words. And some of you might go, would you just put a cork in it? But one day, I heard the Holy Spirit say, Rhonda, I don't always need you to speak up. I used donkeys in the Bible. I heard it. It was like, okay, God. And I try to think that through a lot more now. I try to go, hmm. God could send a donkey. I might know the answer to help you. I might know the answer that could fix this. But man, and I've actually said, God, please send a donkey. (laughs) That's wicked, isn't it? God desires that every one of us who walks with him would speak life-giving words to the people around him. That's his desire. And when our words are filled with wisdom, it produces joy in us and the other person. I don't know about you, but when I think about people, even fellow believers, who are giving up on joy, I promise you the words that come out of their mouth are rarely life-giving or wise. If you can't speak words of wisdom, you've probably given up on joy. The fourth biblical truth to help us not give up in joy is knowing 100% absolute sureness that joy comes when we trust God. I'm going to read Psalms 40, 
um, verse four, like I hear it. Oh, the joy of those who trust the Lord. Think about that. Oh, the joy. Any of you have you ever heard Tiffany Sasser laugh? Oh, my word. Oh, the joy when Tiffany Sasser cackles. I mean, it's like you could be the grumpiest person in the room. And you just laugh because, and sometimes what she's laughing at is ridiculous. But I just love her laugh. You know what I mean? Oh, and that's what I think about the Lord. Oh, the joy that comes from trusting the Lord. I love how Paul connects trust and joy in Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Mm. May he fill you with all joy as you run around like a chicken with your head caught off worrying about everything. No. As you trust in him. Psalms 33, 21 says, For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. 100% you have to trust in the Lord. Tony Riken, a senior writer at DesiringGod.org, says it this way. Our joy in God is bound up with our trust in God. The two cannot be separated, not ever. Trust is the backbone of joy, and joy is the outflow of trust in the one who's fully trustworthy. Ooh, I love that. That's just powerful. And lastly, the fifth biblical truth to help us not give up in joy is understanding that joy transforms tough circumstances into times of blessing. And it seems contradictory that joy would come during hard times. But the Bible makes this very, very clear. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 8 says, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. Think about that. Testing that really, what it, and fire, what it does to gold. And then God says, and your faith is greater than that. So you got to go through some fire. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. James 1, 2 through 4 says, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. That's so contradictory. But people, when we're guided by the Spirit, this is our go-to. We gotta do this. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. The diagnosis of cancer and chemo treatments were the absolute hardest thing I ever walked through. And I can say with assurance that my endurance definitely grew as my faith was tested. And through it, I still have incredible joy. You can have that too. As I conclude today, I want to focus on an article 
I read by Pastor Jim Johnston from Tulsa, Oklahoma called Joyless Christianity is Dangerous. In this article, he advises that one key sign that your walk with God is in a dangerous place is when you've lost your joy. Paul's words in Philippians 3.1 says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again because it's a safeguard for you. The New Living Translation says it this way, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Rejoice in the Lord. When you have no reason to rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. It protects, it's a safeguard for your faith. Joy is one of the vital gauges on the dashboard of Christian life. And when the needle dips, when you lose your joy, you should take note. To stay safe, you need to pay attention to your joy. And to illustrate this, I've heard this illustration before, but I loved it shared this way. He shared the story of life and death canaries in the coal mines. Anybody ever heard that story? How coal miners know that there are dangerous gases that can gather silently and secretly in the tunnels where they're working. Carbon monoxide will asphyxiate and methane gas will explode. In the early days of coal mining, before technology would help this, miners used a non-technical solution. They would take canaries in cages into the mines with them. You see, a canary's metabolism is very sensitive to air quality. And miners knew that as long as these little birds continued to chirp and sing, then the air quality was safe. If gas levels begin to rise, the canaries would stop singing, wobble on their perch, and eventually fall to the floor of the cage. Pastor Jim compared Christian joy to that singing yellow canary. One of the first effects of sin or even wrong thinking in our lives is the loss of joy or the fight to keep joy doesn't seem worth it. When your heart stops singing, it's a warning that your relationship with Jesus needs focus. You need to practice the steps for choosing joy. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Nobody looking around. I have three things I want to wrap up today with. If you're in the room today, no one is looking. And if you recognize that you don't have biblical joy, and in doing so, you also recognize you don't have relationship with Jesus, and you need to meet Jesus today. Is there anybody here that would say, I want to make Jesus Lord and Savior in my life? I don't want to miss this opportunity. Anybody? If you're online today and you've never met Jesus, it's as simple as saying, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you come and be Lord and Savior of my life? I pray that if you're listening to this today and you need Jesus and you need joy, you will pursue relationship with him. Let us know. Put a comment. Send a message. We want to know. Who in here will today raise your hand and say, I think I've given up on joy. I've allowed other emotions or response to hardship or life to push the joy out. Is there anyone I can pray with today that you'd raise your hand and say, I've 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 given up on joy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Jesus sees. He knows right where you are. 
Father, for every person that raised their hand, that recognizes today, Lord, they've given up on joy. They're continually waiting for the other shoe to drop. Or they have an expectation that they don't deserve happiness and joy. God, their mind constantly goes to the worry and what if of tomorrow instead of just recognizing that deep joy that comes from you. God, would you meet each person where they are? Would they walk out of this building determined to practice joy? Satan, I serve notice on you. You are a defeated foe and you will not defeat your people. In Jesus' name, I command you to leave God's people alone. Lord, I thank you that we can come in your name, the power that defeats, and we can do warfare against the enemy. Lord, I thank you for that. And then I want to wrap up this series um, talking about healthy spirit-guided emotions. And if you're like me, you've recognized that you need to repent and pray to be quick to let the Holy Spirit guide your emotions. Maybe it's not an emotion that we've covered these last few weeks. Maybe it's some other emotion besides anger, fear, or sadness, or even joy that you've given up on. And you're going to raise your hand with me today and say, Pastor Rhonda, I don't want a sermon series that God gave to my pastors to be wasted. I'm going to raise my hand today and say, I've got an emotion that needs guided by the Spirit. And you'll raise your hand today and let me pray with you that Jesus will come. God, you see every hand. Lord, you know every person who's desperate for more of you today. And God, what I love is you are powerful. You go in to the deepest, darkest places of our lives and you clean out every part of us that doesn't align with you. And God, you gave us your Holy Spirit and we can walk set free. Set your people free today in Jesus' name. God, help them to walk like you walk. Give them spirit guided. Put a watch on their words. Put a, a block in their mind. God, when they start to go to a driven place by that emotion, Holy Spirit, come. Do a change today. In Jesus' name we pray. If you're here today or if you're online, we just let us know your prayer need. Our prayer team is coming up here. And can I tell you, one of the things, I know you walk out of this building with hearts that need Jesus. And can I tell you, there are people up here that are ready to pray with you and intercede with you. If you've got a need, maybe it's a need for somebody else and you feel the burden of that. Get your behind up here and let somebody pray with you. Would you do that today? These people can pray. They both have prayed over me. And I'm telling you today, you need the power of God to touch you. Come and let these prayer warriors pray with you today. Would you do that? And the rest of you go and have an amazing, joy-filled week. Would you do it? In Jesus' name. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.